0: Welcome to Health in the Hole, your Jackson Hole podcast for health and fitness. I am Dr. Laura Wright, sports chiropractor at JH Backcountry Health and your host for the show. I bring you incredible information and insights from our local health and fitness professionals so you can be a healthier, fitter, more balanced you. This podcast is meant to introduce new ideas and have helpful hints. It should not be taken as medical advice for an individual. If you learn something intriguing that you would like to apply, consult your healthcare provider before doing anything drastic. welcome to today's edition of health in the hole on the show we have eden morris of Teton performance nutrition eden is a registered dietitian based in jackson hole after experiencing serious health consequences from the female health triad while competing on texas a m university's softball team eden decided to pursue a master's degree in nutrition and dietetics with the main goal of preventing what happened to her from happening to other individuals Overall, Eden's goal is to help others improve their relationship with food in order to promote performance, not just in athletics, but also in life. When she isn't busy working as a dietitian, Eden enjoys hiking, mountain biking, skiing, reading, watching movies, meeting new people, and spreading joy to others in whatever way she can. Hi everyone, welcome to Health in the Whole. I am here today with Eden Morris of Teton Performance
1: Nutrition. Eden, how are you today? I'm doing really well. I actually got up early and I'm working on a presentation that I'm doing for Jackson Hole Ski Club this afternoon and got up, had my good breakfast, tried to not look at my email. And now I'm, you know, recording with you and I'm really excited to be a guest on this podcast. I think it's awesome that we're going to highlight different health professionals in the valley because, uh, yeah, like it, it's just really important to know who's at your fingertips when it comes to living in Jackson Hole because we all really care about health here. <laughs>
0: Awesome. And you did email me at like 630 this morning. So you must have yes. checked your email at some point. <laughs> yes. So so tell us some, what is your background? Where are you from and what led you to nutrition?
1: So, I mean, I am from the smallest town in North Georgia. Like it has like 600 people in it. It's called Cahaba, Georgia. There is no traffic light. It is still really small um, I grew up playing club softball and I eventually started playing softball at Texas AM University. Mm-hmm. And I really started to struggle with nutrition as a student athlete. So that's how I got interested in nutrition. I mean, originally I was trying to do it to, you know, increase my performance and to get stronger and to get faster. But what happened was sophomore year, I asked my coach, okay, I really want to play. Like, what can I do? And she was like, So you need to get stronger, you need to get faster. So I was like, Well, I'll just like you know, zone in on my nutrition. So mm-hmm. I read this book by Tony Gonzalez and Mitzi Dulan, who is a dietitian for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Kansas City Royals, and it's called the All Pro Diet. And there are wonderful concepts in that book. I just took it to the extreme. And I think this can happen with athletes because we have this very type A mindset where we're going to do everything the best that we possibly can and sometimes to our detriment. And I just became really strict with food and like wouldn't allow myself to eat certain desserts and which led to binge behavior later. Um, And I wasn't eating enough to support the amount of activity that I was doing as Mm -hmm. an athlete. And this went on for three and a half years. And so that kind of low energy availability for that long uh, had some really catastrophic results. And I was diagnosed with female athlete triad in 2012 and I... I'll explain more what that diagnosis means, but I was just absolutely devastated. I mean, college athletics are kind of a sticky subject for me now as Mm -hmm. an adult. Um, Before I went to college, I really was like a well-rounded person. Like my identity was not wrapped up in my sport. I was artistic. I loved to ride horses. I was musical. I made good grades. And then when you go to be a college athlete, you're kind of told that you're an athlete and that's it and i kind of felt like the color had been drained from my life and then you throw malnourishment on top of that and then just other issues that i experienced and I, you know i moved far away from my family i after my career was over i kind of just felt like a waste i was like what am i gonna do i don't know and then once i got that diagnosis female athlete tried, i was like i don't want this to happen to anyone else no one should experience this even if they're not the most elite athlete whatever no one should have damage to their body that's going to follow them the rest of their life, especially if they were just trying to do their best. Mm-hmm. So I ended up pursuing a master's degree in nutrition and dietetics from Georgia State in Atlanta. And okay. I did a coordinated program where it combines the dietetic internship with your master's. So it, I was done in two years flat. And that, that differs from other, some other graduates. So that's programs.
0: after four years of college?
1: After four years of college. Okay. Then I, I graduated from college. I took all my prereqs, my science prereqs that I didn't have time to take when I was an athlete. Mm-hmm. And then I applied to this program in Atlanta and I got in and it was pretty competitive. I think they accepted eight out of over a hundred applicants. I was pretty proud of that. that yeah, cool. nice work. Uh, yeah, and so I mean, I went into that program wanting to do a specific job. Like I said, I wanted to prevent female athlete triad, but as I was doing my internship and I was doing different areas of sports nutrition, I was like, the job that I want doesn't exist. And so I worked as a clinical dietitian for years. So that means I was in a hospital setting. I was in an outpatient clinic. I was doing uh, nutrition education classes on different topics from diabetes education to cardiovascular health. And I just really felt burned out. I just, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was on the front lines of nutrition. I felt like the populations I was working with, like, frankly, they just didn't have the resources to really change their behaviors. And it kind of felt like I had gotten so far away from my original goal. And so I actually stepped away from nutrition for a few years. And in that time I moved to Jackson and I mean, I love being active here and I always had a personal interest in nutrition and I made sure to never let my credentials lapse just in case I ever came back. And this year with the pandemic, I got laid off from my job in town. And so I was like, well, now or never. And I, started to slowly put the steps in place to found my private practice. I transferred my license from Texas to Wyoming and I kind of just remembered why I ever became a dietitian in the first place and I felt like I was mentally ready to create the job that I wanted. And my goal is to help people in whatever way I can and I feel like this is the absolute best way that I can use my gifts and I can combine everything I experienced in my background as an athlete and Yeah. I founded my private practice in June, launched in August, and here we are. (laughs) Awesome.
0: What's it? October. So.
1: Yeah, it's October. (laughs) Great.
0: Cool. So what is, just explain to everybody, what is the female athlete triad, and then what are the lasting effects from that?
1: Yeah. So female athlete triad is a combination of menstrual dysfunction, low energy availability, with or without an eating disorder, and decreased Mm -hmm. bone mineral density. And this is common amongst young women participating in sports, but it's important to highlight that it's not just lean body sports. Because when you read a lot of academic papers that are highlighting female athlete triad, Mm -hmm. they talk about the lean body sports like gymnastics and figure skating and um, cross country. But I was a softball player. That's not a lean body sport. So it happened to me. Um, so I had secondary amenorrhea. So that's the menstrual dysfunction aspect of that. And secondary amenorrhea means that you have had a period before, but you've lost it for a significant Mm -hmm. amount of time. And there is this misconception that if you don't have a period, it just means you're in shape. That is crap. (laughs) That actually means that your body doesn't have enough energy to produce the hormones it needs to support normal menstrual function. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a period, a normal period from 2008 until 2012. And that's a very long amount of time to not have a period. Mm -hmm. Um, So low energy availability and disordered eating. I was doing extra workouts outside of team practice. Like I would jump rope before practice. I would run stadiums after like team workouts. And then because I was a catcher in college, I had to get to the field earlier to make sure I was available to pitchers. And so I just didn't have enough time to like fit in the right snacks that I was trying that I should have been eating. Mm -hmm. So I just was in this state of low energy availability for multiple years and without the proper energy being provided to your body, it will shut down other systems to Mm -hmm. prioritize functionality. So that's kind of what happened. Um, And I also ended up with osteopenia at 22, which is the precursor to osteoporosis. And when I would tell people, yeah, I have osteopenia, they're like, but you're so young. And I'm like, I know, but I had nagging injuries like shin splints. I have calcified joints. I specifically, my left ankle is permanently calcified because um, well in softball and baseball, you only turn bases one way. Mm -hmm. So if you roll your ankle, it's usually your left ankle. And so calcium is involved in muscle contraction. And if you're not taking in enough uh, dietary calcium, Your skeleton is a big reservoir for calcium. And so it will take, your body will take it from your joints to provide it to your muscles that are working. So if you have free floating calcium in your body and you become injured, the calcium gets deposited where there are spots of inflammation. So that's how I ended up with these calcified joints. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a permanent dent in my left shin from repeated foul balls off of my shin. Okay. Which if you've ever watched professional baseball, you see the ones that have like a little shin guard and they're yeah. there. Yeah. So that had to wear one of those for a while. And now I can still feel this when I go get fitted for ski boots. Like I have to say, yeah, I feel pressure right there in my shin, which is it's that's left over from over 10 years ago now. And I have deterioration in both of my hips. And I know this because I had a DEXA scan after I finished competing in college. And you can just literally see these little pockets of deterioration in both my ball and socket joints on both hips. And it's just weird to look at. And it's like, wow, okay. So it's not in my head. This actually happened. And mm. yeah. So another thing to note for listeners is that female athlete triad has been expanded by the International Olympic Committee committee to now include male, male athletes. And that phenomenon is called relative energy deficiency in sport or REDS. So this points to the complexity involved and like the fact that male athletes are also affected by this, these disordered eating behaviors and other just impacts on their performance. Um, and REDS can, it refers to physiological dis, dysfunction, including but not limited to metabolic rate, menstrual dysfunction, bone health, immunity, protein synthesis, cardiovascular health caused by a relative energy deficiency over a long period of time. So athletes need to be aware of the female athlete triad, and relative energy deficiency in sport.
0: Interesting. So is the female athlete try the lack of the period, is that harder to diagnose because of all the birth control options that also decrease the period?
1: Yes. And that's actually a really good question because like athletes in high school that are going to go on birth control, they might have like these symptoms could be masked if they're on Mm -hmm. birth control. And a good example is my freshman year, when I first moved to Texas A&M, I moved, you know, halfway across the country and I was really stressed and I was homesick. My period was coming every two weeks. And oh, so that's wow. the thing. It can be, it can come too soon and too often. Mm-hmm. And so the team doctors put me on birth control and I felt miserable. And as soon as I went off of it, it stopped. Period stopped for years. And yeah. if I had stayed on it, I would have never known. I would have never known that I, you know, my menstrual dysfunction was not right. Not, yeah. not functioning the way it should.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's a powerful story for you to share with people.
1: Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's just, so. I just want people to know like it, this is real and it happens. Yeah.
0: So you're both a registered dietitian and a licensed dietitian. What, mm-hmm. What's the difference between those two?
1: So registration is required nationally for dietitians. Mm -hmm. So all dietitians are required to be registered with the commission on dietetic registration. And after you complete your internship and your master's degree or coursework, you sit for a national exam that is put on by the commission on dietetic registration. And you have to maintain continuing professional education and submit a learning plan every five years to show that you are still maintaining your credential. Mm -hmm. And then to be licensed, you have to be licensed in whatever state you're practicing. So I am licensed in Georgia, Texas, and Wyoming. Kind of like my professional road to get to Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and same thing. You have to show that you're still registered nationally in order to be licensed, and you have to show that you're still keeping up your continued professional education. Got it.
0: Okay. And so then, how does a dietitian differ from you know everything else we've got out there? Nutritionists, yeah. health coaches, nutritional therapy practitioners.
1: Yeah. So. The comparison I've been using a lot lately is like, I like to think of like a personal trainer versus a physical therapist. You know, they both work with the body physically to make it stronger, but one of them has more schooling. One of them is more tightly regulated. One of them has to have an advanced degree or an internship and they have to be licensed. And that's a physical therapist. Not saying Mm -hmm. that personal trainers don't provide good therapy, because they do, but they're not as tightly regulated as physical therapists. Um, and so that's the way I like to apply that to a nutritionist versus a dietitian. A nutritionist is a general term. It is mm-hmm. not regulated by any real agencies. Um, a person who is basically interested in nutrition, has no previous education, can basically call himself or herself a nutritionist. Uh, but so there's another phrase, it's called um, uh, all dietitians are nutritionists, but not all nutritionists are dietitians. And that's what I mean by that. And I just have a note here. And I'm not t- trying to like throw anybody under the bus, but I want people to know that medical doctors, M.D.s, are not required to have any specific nutritional training during their coursework. Mm-hmm. There are no nutrition courses that they have to take. Um, and so I'd like people to keep this in mind when they see nutrition advice from medical doctors. But also, those medical professionals do know how to read research, and they are very intelligent. So if you do see an MD giving out nutritional advice, just kind of take it with a grain of salt and look at everything else they're putting out there. And if it seems sound, great, but it doesn't hurt to always get a second opinion. And another thing to note is that MDs specialize in certain areas. So if I was going to take nutritional advice from an MD, I would look and see if they have any background in uh, gastroenterology, (laughs) but that's just my own take. But so as a dietitian, I have very like specific credentials. So I've done specific coursework and a graduate level degree. I have an, completed an internship of over 1200 supervised practice hours under licensed dietitians. I passed a national exam by CDR. I have applied with a, for licensure within every state that i practice. and I maintain my licensure and registration by making sure that I'm still educated and up to date with new nutrition trends and research.
0: Awesome. And you focus on sports nutrition mostly, or yeah. And what is the difference between sports nutrition and non-sports nutrition?
1: So I do focus on sports nutrition, but I have kind of been evolving this a little bit to include more kind of the mental relationship that an athlete has with their body. Um, Kind of piggybacking off my experience as a collegiate athlete, I kind of think about where I was mentally when I was making some of those nutrition mistakes. So sports nutrition can, you can work, in a lot of different areas as a sports nutritionist. You can work with high school athletics, college athletics, professional athletics. Um, when I was thinking about becoming a sports dietitian, I really wanted to work with high school athletes or retiring athletes. I wanted to work with populations that were underrepresented, um, underrepresented by dietitians. So mm-hmm. for example, when I was at Texas a and there were two dietitians on staff. Um, most collegiate teams have a couple or at least one professional teams like NFL teams or MLB teams have several on staff as well. And the, some of them even have professional chefs that are dietitians that work wow. with them. So that's really cool. Um, when I was doing my internship at Georgia state, I did do part of it at Georgia tech, which was kind of cool. Um, they had one dietitian who worked with all of their athletes. So you mm-hmm. can imagine like working with a football player is very that's different a, than working yeah. with like a swimmer. <laughs> um, and then I also did part of my internship with at Atlanta ballet company which was fascinating. And that specific dietitian basically had to be trained in eating disorders Mm -hmm. too. And she did a lot of allergy testing and other things. So even though she was a sports nutritionist, it was more psychologically based, like her practice. So it was very interesting. Um, So other areas of nutrition outside of sports nutrition include community nutrition and public health. So basically right now you see a lot of dietitians making comments about what you can do to support your immunity during COVID. That's a good mm-hmm. example. School nutrition and food service, uh, not my area, did not enjoy it, but they're dietitians that work with um, the U.S. I'm trying to think of the department, but basically the people that put out school nutrition guidelines, they're dietitians that work to make sure that things are sound and that kids, like the recommendations that are being given out are going to provide children with enough nutrients to support growth. Um, clinical nutrition, which is what I did, hospitals, outpatient clinics, you can also specialize in oncology or renal nutrition, which is um, kidney health. So you mm-hmm. see dialysis clinics around the country. They have usually an entire staff of dietitians to make sure that they provide sound advice to help people. Not like, the, the, Chronic kidney disease is usually what they're trying to prevent in renal mm-hmm. clinics, but that is a very hard area of, that, of nutrition. Um, another, some other cool jobs that I've like really just enjoyed Seeing is like nutrition in the media. So like RDS can be quoted for stories, or they can participate in like news sources. Like there's a dietitian I know named Carolyn O'Neill, and she worked specifically with CNN when I was in Atlanta, and she would do like segments on CNN. Uh, I did part of my internship at Chick Fil A corporate headquarters. Oh, interesting. And Jody Warrell is like I don't know if she's still there, but she was awesome, and that was so fun. And we basically did recipe testing and. I got to do, they did some uh, prototypes when I was there and that was so fun. I got to have chicken and waffles for the first time, oh, but it you was like say, Chick-fil-A, chicken Chick-fil-A and waffles. And, yeah. Do you send um, your clients
0: to Chick-fil-A?
1: No, I mean, Chick-fil-A is fast food. I mean, everybody yeah. knows that. It's just, there are things there that you can get that are a little bit better than others and you watch your portion sizes. Like, yeah. but that's what that dietitian that's would a- say. She's like, my job is more PR than anything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, so interesting. So then, when you're doing like the food psychology, the mindset, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you get into that with athletes or with other clients? Cause it's got uh, to be, I mean, gotta be yeah. a lot more dissecting.
1: Yeah. I, everybody is different. And so, I mean, uh, I think one of the questions you asked was like nutrition psychology versus food psychology. Mm-hmm. So Nutrition psychology focuses on the relationship between someone's mental health and their nutritional health. So basically things that are going on in their life that might impact how they eat. So for example, like stress, sleep, anxiety, I don't know. I mean, athletic performance, anything like that can impact your appetite. And also, I mean, how often you're working out can impact your appetite. And so that's kind of more like nutrition psychology in my like Initial assessment, I'll usually ask somebody like what, what is causing them anxiety? What is causing them stress? How do they cope with that? Are they coping by overeating? Are they mindlessly eating? That's more nutrition psychology. And there's also a movement um, right now going on. You probably see a lot of people doing intuitive eating. That's mm-hmm. kind of based more on nutrition psychology. Food psychology is more focused on how our environment or like our immediate environment impacts our food choices. So like think about when you go to the grocery store and you see how the store is laid out. It's laid out in a way that's going to sell you more food. So if you're in an aisle, you think of, like, look at the things at the top of the aisle, look at things at the bottom of the aisle, and the things in the middle. And it's all based on marketing and how, like, they want you to purchase things. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the home, I like to, like, help people kind of, I don't know, redistribute things in their kitchen to make sure that the foods that are hard for them to resist aren't just immediately within their eyesight. And the things that they know they should eat more of those are readily available and Mm -hmm. easier to see. So that's just kind of like a a quick little blurb about that. And then another, I love this tip, but it's a food food psychology tip. It's like when you go to a restaurant and you know, you're going to eat too much because most restaurants, like the portions are too big order to go box at the beginning of your meal versus the end. And when the food comes, you put half of your food in there before you even start eating. And that way, when you get full, you're not waiting for that to-go box at the end and still mm-hmm. like eating, like grazing on the food that's sitting right there. It's already out of sight and you already have like put your mind in a place of like, oh, I'm going to eat this tomorrow for lunch. Mm-hmm. And it's just a sh- simple shift, but it really works.
0: Any people look at you weird when you do that? Yes.
1: yes. Okay. They yeah. do, <laughs> but, then
0: they, but then they're like, oh, that works. Oh my God. Yeah. That's awesome. But, yeah. I was going to say, Oh yeah. I always look forward to bringing like half of it home. So I know if I don't eat all of this, I get to have it tomorrow and I'll be happy tomorrow. So,
1: yeah.
0: Awesome. So you talked a little bit about who you enjoy working with. You said high school athletes, aging athletes, Um, tell us some more about like kind of who's your ideal client. Who's just really fun and what kind of, I guess, maybe just beyond demographics, like personality factors of who makes it great to work with.
1: Honestly, I, my ideal client has changed over the past few months because I've gotten to work with people with totally different issues. And uh, so I've enjoyed working with every single client I've had so far. Uh, I started seeing clients in August, so it's not been a ton yet, but they all have been different and they're not all of their needs have been specific. So for example, I've worked with a pilot in the Navy and I also worked with a helicopter mechanic and like on the front line of the fires. And then I've also worked with athletes here. Those are all completely different. And their schedules are completely different. And so I have to approach each person individually, which is good for me. Like I it helps me polish my medical nutrition therapy knowledge, which is like what dietitians provide. And Mm -hmm. I I know I learn so much from them too. Like I learn about what they do and what their jobs entail. And I end up relating to them and feeling like I have a friend after. And yeah, I like to hear what's working for them and maybe what's not, or what's challenging them in their life and how I can help. And sometimes I can't, so that's even like good for me to know, like my own mm-hmm. scope, my own practice. Um, I love working with active locals, but I think it's really cool that I get to see clients virtually, and they live in so many places throughout the country. Like that's really neat. So. I know that COVID has not been great for most people, but that's a positive aspect for me is that I feel like I've been able to meet more people virtually.
0: And then how do you work with them? Are you, you know, giving diet suggestions, yeah. meal plans? Do you do blood tests and yeah. I
1: don't do stuff like that. It's more nutrition counseling. So, I do have like telehealth platform that I see people on and it's HIPAA compliant, which is great. Yeah. Um, but usually I end up doing an initial consultation which is around 60 minutes and then I send a follow-up email with links and helpful resources for them and then we meet maybe a week after. For like 30 to 45 minutes, we check in, see what's worked. And then one more week after that. And that's just kind of my one month package. But I mean, I can see people just for one session, but I don't like to do that because I like to check in with people. Um, but yeah, it's been really good to have that telehealth platform for sure. Um, I do, I mean, I could see people, I, I have seen people in my office here. I rent office space at Medicine Well Wellness in downtown mm-hmm. Jackson. But with COVID right now, I think I might shift more to mostly just telehealth and then once hopefully we get back into you know not Someday. the orange zone Someday. not yeah. the red zone I'll see people in person again. yeah
0: I mean they right? sometimes it's easier now online because you can see their yeah. you know you see their face you can see their smile if you're in the office yeah. but then you still have
1: a mask on they have a mask yes. on yeah so it is I do interpret lab values and I do encourage people to get blood panels drawn and then mm. I can help them go over their results. And actually understand what those lab values mean. So it's like specifically if somebody is deficient in iron or vitamin D, I can tell them why and how we can fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have any medical privileges in terms of ordering labs, billing insurance?
1: Not yet. Okay. Maybe
0: in the future, since my business is so new. But, but is it, that I, is something that registered dietitians and licensed dietitians, yes. dietitians can have. Okay. I will
1: say I do not currently take insurance. And the reason why is because a lot of insurance companies do not cover preventive medical care. Yes. And so it would end up being a lot of paperwork and I would not get paid. And then a lot of clients would only get 30 minutes for the entire year. And that's really not going to help. Yes. yes. So for I now, agree. I do not take, nutri- take insurance. In the future, maybe if our country and the healthcare industry shifts to more of a a preventive healthcare mindset, I'll change my mind. But for now, it's just not, it's not worth it. Awesome.
0: Do you have maybe awesome stories of changes you've seen in your life or other people's life just based on nutrition and diet, just simple things that have made a huge difference?
1: Yeah, I am. So I already kind of talked about my own struggles with female athlete triad, but I mean, I want to talk kind of a little bit, outside of athletics, kind of my own struggles with stress and Mm -hmm. appetite. Uh, This is really personal, but I got divorced in 2018 and leading up to it the months before. And when I was going through the separation, I experienced like rapid weight loss, like decreased appetite, change in taste buds. Like they felt burned. They felt metallic. Like food tasted metallic. Nothing Mm -hmm. sounded interesting. I didn't want to eat anything i had extreme mouth sensitivity to temperature and textures and those symptoms are actually very common in cancer patients
0: okay and it's
1: the extreme stress that they go that they are under it's the treatment and on top of that like the, the texture issues like their their mouth might be burned or something might scratch their mouth like i have a friend right now who's going through chemotherapy and we're basically able to be like yeah does your mouth hurt yeah mine too and it's just really weird how those symptoms can happen from extreme stress. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was in 2018. And recently, within the community, there's been a situation that has impacted my health. And I had the same symptoms this year as I had two years ago. And I want to speak to people about how important it is to know when to ask for outside help. I started working with a psychologist in 2018 to help me deal with what was going on. Mm -hmm. And when all this stuff resurged, I mean, I already had an appointment with her and we were able to come up with strategies to help me focus on the simple things of health. And it was basically like, okay, eat for joy. You want to eat that Persephone croissant? Please do. You need to eat something. Uh, Do little things that I enjoy. So for example, like, I don't know, I use colored pens when I write in my work journal or Mm -hmm. go for walks and not be as hard on myself athletically. I just step back from working out because I was so exhausted. And so frankly, I'm not I wasn't eating enough to where it would damage my body. And I knew that because I'd done it before. Um, yeah, it was, it was really hard, but I I think it's really important for practitioners to be open about our personal struggles with those things. You don't have to give every detail, but we need to show that we struggle too. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted, I just want people to know that even health professionals struggle. And I had to know when it was the right time to ask for help and to find the right kind of help. Like I didn't want unsolicited advice from friends. I'm like, no, no, no. I know my health. I know my body. I know it will work for me. And so I had to learn to kind of set boundaries for myself, like mm-hmm. personally and professionally. And I can't say yes to everyone, but I have slowly learned how to value my time and myself. I'm still learning how to do this. And I recognize those symptoms within myself. Like for example, like last night, there was a situation. I read something and it kind of, triggered some things in me. And I had a sore in my mouth this morning from like grinding my teeth. Yeah. And it's just one of those things I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Going to have to watch the temp- temperatures today. So like my coffee wasn't as hot this morning.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then people you've worked with, what kind of
1: transitions have you seen in them? Um, so recently I have a client who we stopped working together because she doesn't need me anymore. She feels set up and that's the goal. She was struggling with, um, PCOS Mm -hmm. and weight gain over several years. And I just, I love this girl. And at the end she was like, you know, I just have to tell you, like, I've just noticed like the small changes and like eating enough throughout the day and my clothes fit differently and I have more energy. And yeah, and I d- and like at some of the simple swaps that we talked about were basically like like how to drink less. Okay, so I'm gonna drink a Topo Chico or a Spindrift after every other beer or while I'm drinking beer while I'm watching football. It's what like are small things like and that. Spindri- it's mineral <laughs> water. Mineral okay. water and um uh, spindrift is like sparkling water with the uh, squeezed fruit in it and it tastes better than uh, LaCroix. I can't stand okay. LaCroix, I yeah, don't yeah. like the flavor. But spindrift is awesome. So <laughs> Um, they're, they're it was brands. just little things like that. Yeah. They're okay. brands, they're brands of like, um, sparkling carbonated water. Okay. Got it. But, um, I really, I just, it, it meant so much to me at the end. And after like, whenever I'm wrapping up a session with a client, I always like to ask, like, what else can I do for you? Is there anything else that you need? And mm-hmm. I just love hearing, no, I actually feel good. And I feel like I can do this. And I've heard that multiple times over the past month. And I'm just like, that's so great. <laughs> Yeah. That is awesome. So how do our listeners find
0: out more about you or work with you? What webs? what's your website? What Mm -hmm. social media channels
1: are you on? So I have to say my favorite platform is Instagram. I know that it's, you know, very controversial for some people and we always spend too much time on it, but I'm active on there. Like I respond to people and I like to do little polls and show people how I'm working out or talk about what I'm struggling with. So I talked about some digestive issues this week and why I chose to make a smoothie versus actually eating solid food. It's like, I'm having trouble digesting food. So I put that on Instagram. Um, I like to do stories and just things that are inspiring me. I also tag a lot of local businesses and other professionals and I get great feedback from them and I like to support our local community. So that's how I do that. But my handle is garden of Eden underscore RD. Off, so if anybody wants to cool. follow me there, yeah, and I I'll link it in the notes. website. Yeah, my website is Nutrition.com. and I have been a little busy, so I haven't been blogging as much. But I do like to pick specific topics that are kind of in the media or that are more pressing to our community. Like, for example, of course, ski season's coming up there, and I have an intern that works for me, and she did a great post about pre-ski season nutrition that's on there. Uh, I do have a Facebook page. For my business, but I don't post on there very often. And, but I do post some stuff on my personal Facebook page. And I guess that's kind of, it's not the most popular marketing strategy, but for me, it's, I want to show people that I live my life in a way that shows that everything I'm recommending to people, I do myself. So it's okay to me that people see my personal stuff on my pages. Now you don't have a, a don't post secret personal everything. life, but yeah, no, yes. Yeah, so it's not, I won't post everything, but I do post like, Hey, this is what I ate after my workout or I don't know. This is, um, yeah, I'm having a cocktail at Colette. You know, I just yeah. want to show the balance between how you can do these things.
0: Yeah, awesome. And then in your own health routine, what would you say is like one practice or habit that's been very powerful?
1: You know, I'm sure you've heard of this before, but I've been doing more gratitude journaling, and I don't do it all the time. But the the time that I do it is usually in the morning. I have a Moleskin notebook that I use for work, but. I'll just write out in the morning. It was like so. Today's the twenty fourth, right? Twenty fourth. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yesterday, let's say I did the twenty. twenty seventh. Oh yeah. This is twenty seventh. See, I'm like, oh my god, what day is it? Um, so yesterday, on October twenty sixth, I wrote down five things I was thankful for, and I try to keep my computer closed when I do that. I keep my phone off of the table, so I can't look at it. Don't check emails, and I just focus on my food. I reflect on the things that I wrote. Like, so I do this while I'm eating breakfast and doing this just gives me a sense of peace as I'm starting the day. And it just makes me, I look out the window and right now I'm like, Oh my gosh, look at the snow. I'm just really excited for winter versus focusing on, obviously there's so much that's going on in our political world and with COVID and whatever, I I'm able to kind of separate myself from that. And so it's, I'm not, I don't do any kind of meditating, but this is my way of doing that and I can't recommend it enough. And Ryan Burke actually hosted a session with the sacred athlete retreat at medicine wheel a few weeks ago. And he actually said that this practice increases productivity by 20%. That's a lot. Yeah. And I would totally agree with that. It really has increased my productivity as an individual and as a professional. Awesome.
0: Anything else that we've missed in our discussion that you wanted to mention?
1: I don't think so. Do you have any okay. other questions for me as I, we've been talking? I, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, Maybe just, later I once I think doing about doing people, these things. So. Like, I mean, podcasts are so great. Cause like, I mean, we see so many things on like written, uh, like, you know, captions here and there, but I like being able to hear people talk about mm-hmm. what they are doing healthcare wise and understanding their mindset. And I feel like Sometimes you just get that like a more real interaction when you're on a podcast with somebody. Yeah. So thanks again for having me. Yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you for being on. It's been an honor. I'm excited to share this with everyone. I think this has been the most like informational one, <laughs> which I, I love. So hopefully yeah. everyone else will love it as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Health in the Whole. Click subscribe to get future episodes, follow along at facebook.com slash health in the whole, and we will see you soon.